0: We're going to be continuing our series on the Psalms today, so if you've uh, got your Bible, can you turn to Psalm 87, please? You should always pay attention to what Steve tells you before you start, shouldn't you? Got things completely wrong. Right, um, just whilst you're finding uh, your way, I'm just going to do a couple of plugs of books. Um, This one at the moment is $5.99 in Manor Bookshop. Um, It's a special deal if you Mentioned Gateway Church. You can get this for £5.99. It should actually be £8.99. That's what we paid for it in Brighton. Um, you get it for £5.99 in, in the Manor Bookshop, and you also get a free coffee for that as well. So I'd recommend getting it. Um, on the back, this is how highly it's recommended. Uh, R.T. Kendall says that this could be the book for which Terry will be best remembered. Uh, this is a, a a book that I can't plug high enough. Uh, I'm eating my way through it at the moment. I would recommend getting this. Spirit-Filled Church by Terry Virgo. Um, The other one, uh, if you read this, um, you probably don't need to listen to me this morning. Um, Does the Future Have a Church by Terry Virgo again? Uh, This book really helped to change me uh, and formed a lot of what I'm going to be preaching on today. So again, highly recommend trying to get your hands on this one. Uh, Again, you'll probably find that in the Christian bookshop. Right, Psalm 87. Glorious things of you are spoken. A psalm of the sons of Korah, a song. On the holy mount stands the city he founded. The Lord loves the gates of Zion more than all the dwelling places of Jacob. Glorious things of you are spoken, O city of God. Among those who know me, I mention Rahab and Babylon, Behold, Philistia and Tyre with Cush. This one was born there, they say. And of Zion, it shall be said, this one and that one were born in her. For the Most High himself will establish her. The Lord records as he registers the peoples, this one was born there. Singers and dancers alike say, all my springs are in you. just going to pause and pray for a moment. Lord, I want to thank you for the church. I want to thank you so much that we are part of this. I thank you, Lord, that you've got an amazing plan for your people. I thank you that you've caught us up into that. Lord, I thank you for your delight over your people. Lord, I thank you that you are crazy about us. Lord, I find that unbelievable, that you, the one who made all things, is crazy about me. Lord, I thank you that this is the place that you dwell. This is the place that you long to be. Lord, I want to pray that you would uh, fill us with your spirit as we just look at your words. Would you touch us? Would you change us? Would you give us a vision for your church? Amen. Um, I made a a confession to Steve earlier when I came in um, and want to to do that publicly to you. Uh, Don't worry, it's not some terrible sin or anything like that. Um, I'll do that later. Um, I don't know about the sinning or or the confession. I don't know. I'll do both, I guess. what I want to do is that, that actually I did some very elaborate preparation for the sermon. Um, for a nose of that elaborate preparation um, and the hours that I spent trying to get some amazing things together. I had some maps of the ancient Jerusalem. Uh, I researched the heights of Mount Zion and Mount Moriah. Had some pictures of the, the gates of Zion for you. I was going to describe how uh, God had spoken to one man, Jacob, and how he told him that he would be a mighty nation. Uh, then how David had captured Jerusalem, how he would built a fortress and his palace there, and how, laugh, uh, sorry, how lofty this place was, and how all this was connected with the church. However, um, as I pursued all of this, I just felt God stopping me. Usually when I prepare a sermon, it just flows really easily. But actually, I just felt that there was just no flow. I, I just couldn't go any further. Um, I probably wrote about 600 words, and that was about it. Um, And I was getting incredibly frustrated. uh, And then I went and spoke to my wife, which is a good thing to do. um, And she just felt God saying, keep things simple. Um, And actually, I I just felt that that's what I needed to do. Uh, So I've not even got a PowerPoint for you this morning. I'm just going to keep things simple um, and talk from my heart instead. Uh, Last week, Nigel spoke superbly from Psalm 84 about the dwelling place of the Lord. Um, He talked about uh, Psalm 84 being attributed to the sons of Korah um, and Psalm 87 is as well. He told us that these guys were were the gatekeepers of the Lord um, and they'd have the privilege of watching the people gathering into the temple Um, and that the Psalms that they wrote were just the songs that were rising up in their hearts as they looked at the church. And actually that's what I want to do this morning is just tell you something of my passion for the church. Um, because I I could put all these wonderful things up, but actually, what's that going to achieve? You can read that yourselves. Um, I just want to share a bit of of my own story, um, of of how I've got here, um, and then we'll we'll look at what glorious things are spoken. So um, just to give you a bit of background, I was brought up in a Christian household. Um, We went as a family along to the Apostolic (laughs) Church in Abergavenny, um, and then we became part of the Assemblies of God Church, when I was about six and we stayed there till I was about 13. I loved being part of these churches. Um, I have clearer memories of the AOG church because I was a little bit older. Uh, It's a little bit difficult to remember church when you're a baby. Um, But the AOG church was a very small fellowship, probably about 15 to 20 people on on a good day. Um, But we were a good family. Uh, There was such closeness amongst us. Uh, I remember the way that I was loved by them uh, I remember the way that they made me uh, feel as important as anyone else. And actually, that we've touched on that already. You know, when, when Steve said that, you know, children are welcome amongst us and they're just as important as anyone else. Uh, these guys actually opened the scriptures and, and made them alive to me as a child. Uh, they, they faithfully and lovingly continued to share the gospel with me. Um, and then they rejoiced um, just as much my parents when I became a Christian at the age of nine. Uh, They also uh, rejoiced as I was baptised with the Spirit at the age of 10 or 11. And then I remember how they just walked through everything with me. They were with me in everything that I did. Uh, And they prayed for me through all that I did. Uh, They were faithful people. Uh, Then I remember how our our numbers started to decline. So we went from 15 to 20 and we declined from that. Uh, Remember the sadness of seeing the church close as although we had a faithful bunch of people, we couldn't actually afford to, to maintain the building, we couldn't afford to keep going. Uh, so we actually had to close as a church. Um, and actually that was really painful to, to kind of go through. This place that, that had been that for me, to see that close was was really hard. Um, and actually I know that my experience is actually the same experience as some of you have had as well, of, of seeing churches close. Um, if, if you haven't had that experience personally, I would guess that you probably see the stats around and you see that you know, there's many churches which are declining in numbers, uh, or you see the, the chapels that are among our nation and see how small and dwindling these are. Uh, the church in the UK does actually seem to be in decline if you read the stats. Uh, it seems to be di- uh, diminishing, actually. In 2002, The Times reported that 1,598 churches had closed between 1969 and 2001. They went on to report this. Now the dwindling of congregations in so many of our country's churches is also becoming a source of worry for even the secular-minded majority. They spoke of a, a country whose traditional faith is slowly retreating into history. Seems quite depressing really, doesn't it? Do you feel encouraged? (laughs) Um, Many more churches have actually closed since they published this report. And uh, we see that church buildings have since become places like warehouses or museums, uh, pubs, schools or community centres. Looking on, this causes us to be low in heart as we look at this. Um, Our friends may even question our attendance to church. They may say, why do you want to be part of an irrelevant, uh, dying, outdated society? Uh, as time goes on, we even see that there's some influential figures in the UK church who are trying to water down the truth in order to appeal to the world. Um, as we look on, we may wonder what uh, the future holds for the church. And I wondered this, it, it just at tender age of 13, thought, what on earth is going to happen? Um, however, um, age of 13, we became part of a small new church, which was meeting in a community hall in Abgavenny. Uh, It was part of something called New Frontiers. Um, As I heard the teaching as a young teen, um, I I became part of this community and I got a vision of a church which was very different to the vision that I had previously. Uh, It's a vision that actually lifted my head above what my experience told me. It lifted my head above what the culture told me around me and actually gave me a vision of a church that Jesus was passionate about. We've heard something of that this morning, about how passionate he is for us. Um, gave me a vision for a church that he's got an eternal plan for, a church that could transform the communities that they're in, a church that uh, would see people saved regularly, a church where the very presence of God dwells. Suddenly I, I had this vision um, of, of what the church was all about. This vision transformed my view of church and actually inspired me to become an active member of my church there and to play my part in history. My teenage years were were very, very different to to my friends around me. Uh, I spent my time being part of a great community of believers, getting to know the word of God, being filled with the spirit and bombarding my youth leader with questions about the church um, and how I could play my part in its future. Um, And as you're the the only one on the front row, can I encourage you to do that? Can I encourage you to, to bombard Claire and Jonathan and Tim with questions of what you can do to play your part in the church? Then uh, after that came university. Uh, The first thing I did as I prepared to go to Coventry uh, was that I got in touch with the church there. Um, I was warmly welcomed on my arrival. And during my time at Coventry, I wrestled with theology with a bunch of guys that I lived with from the the church. Uh, We looked to see what God was saying about the church and what God's plan was for her. Uh, We had some amazing times of of praying together, um, of prophesying into each other's lives, of stirring each other on. Uh, It did involve a lot of beating each other up as well. But, you know, the main bit was that that it was just a great time. Some of my my fondest memories are living in that that house. Um, As as a church, we hosted a conference that Terry Virgo uh, was holding, which was entitled, Does the Future Have a Church?, I remember being impacted by Terry's teaching and his passion uh, to restore the church. He spoke of how the, ch- sorry, how the culture's view of church was nothing like the one that he was part of, or like the stories he was hearing from around the country, or around the world even. He opened the scriptures and he taught how the church is central to God's plans for the future of the world. He opened my eyes to the church of the New Testament and to dare to believe that we could be involved in restoring the church across the nation and the nations of this world. I remember how Jubilee Church Coventry was actually shaped by a prophecy uh, that it received about church planting into the surrounding areas of Coventry. I saw how small groups then gathered in Leamington Spa, in Banbury and Nuneaton. Um, then uh, I saw how, how these became churches. Uh, it was massive joy to see how these small beginnings became something that, that was established. Um, and actually, there were was, was some top people who, who were actually given from that church to go out to these places. Julie Church Commentary is probably one of the most generous churches I know in terms of just giving away their best people to, to different places. And as they've done that, they've continued to grow magnificently. Um, then came Martin. Uh, God had, had stirred a passion in our hearts to see these New Testament churches uh, planted and established throughout Wales. Um, God spoke clearly to Fleur and I, and he told us to, to move to Wrexham to be a part of this, uh, to play our parts in seeing this church being established here. Uh, we shared this with our elders in, in Coventry. Uh, we made contact with Nigel and Callie, and in August 2005, we moved here. When we started, we were just 20 people gathered in the War Memorial Hall uh, on a Wednesday. Now look at us. Look what God's done amongst us. Um, But that's not all. We've got a fresh challenge in front of us as a church. God has spoken to us as a church about planting out into Deeside, Oswestry and beyond. As we look around, we may think of those statistics that I started with. We see churches closing. We see a bunch of small churches here and there dotted around. How are we going to continue to grow as Gateway Church? How are we going to plant these churches? I believe wholeheartedly that we will see these churches grow. I believe that Gateway Church will grow, and I believe that we will see D-side and Street planted. Am I saying that because I'm 29 and I, I'm green behind the ears? No. I'm saying it because I know God's passion for the church, and I know what he has spoken of his church. Glorious things of you are spoken. So let's go and have a look at what is spoken of the church. Uh, if we are lucky, in, in our psalm, verse 1 starts with describing a key aspect of the eternity of the church, and why the church will never die out. God has founded the church. The church was not just a good idea that a few people came up with in a, in a room as they thought, what can we do? Actually, it's been founded by God. It's not established on earthly policies or earthly wills. It is God who set the foundation and we're held together by Jesus himself. If we look at Ephesians 2, it says, So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows up into a holy temple in the Lord. Jesus is our cornerstone. Jesus is in this for the long haul. He's not going to abandon us. He's not going to nip off for five minutes and leave us to crumble. Actually, he is integral. He is part of this. He's in it with us. All of this was his initiative. He has set us apart. He loves us, as we heard earlier. Uh, We are his passion through the ages. The church is the most glorious place on the earth. It's eternal, it's living, it's active. It spans generations and generations, and it's so valuable to God that he laid down his own son for it. We're valuable. God is, so proud of the, sorry, God is so proud of the church that he set it on a holy mount for all to see. He's not ashamed of us. He's proud of us. He's not worried about those statistics that I talked about. He's got an eternal plan for us. As C.H. Spurgeon said of this verse, What a theme for meditation is the founding of the church of God in the ancient covenant engagements of eternity. The abrupt character of this first verse indicates long consideration on the part of the writer, leading up to his bursting forth in wonder and adoration. Well might such a theme cause his heart to glow. Rome stands on her seven hills and has never lacked a poet's tongue to sing her glories, but more glorious, far out though, O Zion, among the eternal mountains of God." While pen can write or mouth can speak, thy praises shall never lie buried in unglorious silence. God delights in us and he wants to show us off to the world. Again, we find in Ephesians 3, Paul says, of this gospel I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given to me by the working of his power. To me, though I'm the very least of all the saints, this grace was given in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. Wow. (laughs) We, the church, are the demonstration of God's wisdom. Terry Virgo stated that this passage opens up our view of the church. The church is a reconciled, multiracial humanity, is a public demonstration of God's power, grace, and manifold wisdom. The church is God's masterpiece. It demonstrates his wisdom in not just gathering a people from the ends of the earth, but reconciling them to be a family, to be a diverse people who are united in spirit and purpose. That's what we are. He doesn't just show us off to the nations, but he shows us off to the principalities and powers Kings, queens, and governments might try to unite people with their wonderful ideas, but they won't do it successfully. There's only one who does it successfully, and that's God. We are the successful demonstration of this on earth. Do you realise who you are this morning? God has chosen you to demonstrate his wisdom to the nations, he demonstrates his wisdom through you and me, through us, his church. The Lord loves the gates of Zion more than all the dwelling places of Jacob. God loves to dwell with his people, as we heard earlier. He loves to be among us. He loves to speak to us. He loves to fill us with his spirit. He loves to transform us. As we saw in Ephesians 2 earlier, uh, we, we saw that Christ himself is the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple of the Lord. In him, you are also being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. God used to dwell in a tent, then a temple. Now he dwells here. He dwells with us. We're being built together into a holy temple for the Lord. As we gather together, we should expect and we should ask for God's manifold presence to be amongst us. That should be our expectation. We're his dwelling place on earth. Do you feel perhaps insignificant? Do you feel that perhaps no one wants to spend time with you? There's a wonderful truth here. God himself wants to dwell with you. I think I want to be a part of this. I want to be a part of a people who God has set apart, a people who God delights in, a people who are the demonstration of his wisdom to the rulers and authorities, a people who he dwells with. Glorious things of you are spoken. There's often a question, isn't there? Can I be a Christian and not go to church? I would say yes, but why would you want to? Why would you want to be a Christian and not be part of this? Would you really want to miss out on, on the wonders that we've been just talking about? There's something special, unique and mysterious about the church. God inclines his ear to us, his people. As we heard earlier about uh, how he looks at us and his, his face as he looks at us, he's crazy about us. He loves us with a passion. Uh, I think that probably the best way to, to think about that is if you think about weddings, and I know that John and Ali, you were at a wedding recently. Um, as, as you're at weddings, you look at how the, how the bridegroom looks at his bride. You know, There is such passion that this bridegroom has as he sees his bride coming towards him. We see that, uh, that just as he catches the gaze of her face, it's like no one else is in that room. His heart just bursts out of his chest as he looks at her. Um, He's overcome as he gazes at his bride. And just in the same way, Jesus is that passionate about us. He's crazy for us. We fill his thoughts. He daydreams of us. All of his plans include us. If you're not convinced, let's have a look at a bit of Song of Solomon. The voice of my beloved. Behold, he comes, leaping over the mountains, bounding over the hills. My beloved is like a gazelle or a young stag. Behold, there he stands, behind our wall, gazing through the windows. Jesus is passionate about the church. He is like the one who leaps over mountains and hills just to get to us. He looks for us. He seeks out our company. He's madly in love with us. In Ephesians 5 we're given his love for, for the church as the example of how husbands should love their brides. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the, wo- with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. He loves us, so much that he gave himself up for us. Christ died for us so that we would be cleansed from our sins and be presented as spotless and blameless before him. Now that is love for a bride. In verse 4, we see that the Korites mention Rahab, Babylon, Philistia, and Cush. Is that the right way to say it? Cush? 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 There we go. During this great song about the glorious things of the church, Rahab is otherwise known as Egypt, which was a nation that had taken um, Israel into captivity. We also see that Babylon was an oppressor of Israel. Philistia is the country of the Philistines who are in constant conflict with the Israelites. Uh, We remember probably the most famous one is is Goliath. Um, Tyre was a, a place that was known for their greed and was actually only out for its own gain. And Kush is known as Ethiopia, a very poor place in Africa. And the Israelites actually thought that this place was cursed by God because of its poverty. So then why are these places mentioned in this wonderful song about the church? I believe it's to help us to grasp something of the magnitude of God's sovereign plan. The gospel doesn't have a limit. It goes to all nations It goes to even the countries that used to be the enemies of Israel. Romans 5 puts it beautifully. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person, one might dare to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through him we have now received reconciliation. God has extended his head. I'll start again. You can see that I'm passionate about it. I just can't get my words out quick enough. And Dorothy warned me earlier to to take a breath. Um, God has extended his invitation to those who were his enemies. We were his enemies. It's not just Babylon. It's not just Egypt. We were his enemies. We weren't seeking God. We were far from him as we heard earlier. We were pursuing our own ways of satisfaction. And it was at this point that Jesus died for us. He didn't wait for us to become good enough for him to die for us. But actually, he died for us to make us good enough to come to him. Such love is this, that he should die for me when I was far from him. Would you perhaps die for the enemy? Jesus did. He died for us. We find that an enemy is made a friend through the cross. Our offerings are just like filthy rags in the presence of the Lord. But he had to come and die for us and he's reconciled us, his enemies, to him. He's made the enemy righteous and a prized possession. So then why are Ethiopia and Cush mentioned? I believe it's because whether you're wealthy or poor, God cares for you. He welcomes you into his house. He breaks down the walls of hostility and he creates a place where the rich and the poor can find a home. Where the rich and the poor are friends and equals. Where else could you find this amazing place? Where else do you know that it's reconciled to its enemies and has the rich and the poor as equals among them? This is the church. The church is a mystery. It's formed and it's held together by God alone. Verse uh, six speaks of a register of the people of God and says, this one and this one were born there. God loves his people. Terry Virgo, I remember, demonstrated this point quite powerfully. at that conference up in Coventry. Uh, He said that you only have to go back to the genealogies in the Bible and the numerous lists of names and names and names to know that God delights in people. It's not just on about a big people, It's not about us individually. He knows us by name. He said that uh, someone actually went up to him and said that uh, God is seeking out a faceless, nameless people. So he said, can I take these genealogies and just rip them out of my Bible then? (laughs) Actually, they're there to remind us that God delights in each one of us individually. Uh, I'm not going to... Uh, publicly embarrass you here, but someone was talking to me this week about how they uh, forget the names of their grandchildren at times. Um, And actually, God is not like that. He doesn't have so much trouble with that. Actually, he, he knows us all by name. He knows us personally. We may perhaps think that we're only one person, but God has a plan and a purpose for each one of us. He's brought you all to be a part of Gateway Church Wrexham and he's done that for a reason. He's got a part for you to play in this. We see that the sons of Korah probably didn't realize the impact they would have. All they were doing was expressing their heart as they saw the people of God gathering. Those songs were written down and we've got them here now. They didn't realize they were doing that. They were just passionate about what God was doing among them. Just think what God might do among you think what God could do with you as you get passionate about what he's doing amongst us. As you get passionate, as you see the people of God gathering, as you get a passion for what the church is about. Can you imagine what God can do through you? So how do we go on to build Gateway Church Wrexham? How do we plant churches in D-side and Oswestry and beyond? I think it's quite simple. We all play our parts. We're part of a body here. We're built together, as 1 Corinthians 12 talks. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I'm a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. We've got a doctor in the house. Actually, we've got two. (laughs) Welcome, Francine. And what you find is that I think these guys could tell us that you can't really have a functioning body if there's just an eye. And likewise, if that eye is missing, then it's not going to function all that well. We need all of the parts of the body to be playing their part. No matter how you view yourself here, you've got a role to play in building the church. I want to say to you, Feet, we cannot build this church and we cannot go on to, to plant these other churches without you. If you're and I, we cannot build this church and we cannot go on to plant these churches without you. Fingernails, we cannot go on to build this church and the other churches without you. God has made you the way that you are for a reason. God wants you to play your part in this. You can be part of building something wonderful here. God is passionate about his church. He's passionate about you and he's passionate about you playing your part in this. We know that Nigel, Steve and Phil are wonderful elders. I'm not just saying that because I'm close to Steve here and he could throw something at me. Uh, I just do want to publicly say that uh, it was a great joy as we gathered together earlier this year to pray for these guys and to welcome them into eldership. And I think that we've already seen uh, something of a strength that has come from that. But actually, these guys can't do it by themselves. These guys cannot build Gateway Church Wrexham by themselves. They cannot go on to plant D-side and Street by themselves. We do this together. They need us and we need them. As Steve shared at the start, it's the priesthood of all believers, not just one or two. It's about all of us playing our part. So let's spur each other on. You may not think that you have much to offer, but actually the widow didn't think she had much to offer and she gave all that she could. And Jesus delighted in her offering far much more than the one who had much and gave a little. Can I encourage you, give what you've got. Jesus delights in that. You may be sitting there and thinking, all I'm good for is just welcoming a few people on a Sunday. Well, can I say thank you for what you do? Can I say that these these people who even this morning have said how they felt so welcomed uh, among us, and it's you who've done that. We will build this church through people like you who welcome people here. It is you who will help people to feel like this is their home. People may, may perhaps think all I did was to set the cheers up. And yes, Nigel, if you're listening, they are set up to your requirements. Um, Again, what you've got is that if you didn't do that this morning, all of these guys would be sitting on the floor. So you're playing your part. You may think that all you did, Steve, was to set up some wires. But actually, without that, then people wouldn't be able to hear me. But perhaps that was... (laughs) Perhaps you should have just not done that. (laughs) So all of you, may I thank you for what you do. You may think that what you're doing is just playing a small part. But actually, if we all play our small part, just think of what we achieve. God is passionate about this. I can't overemphasize it. I could go on for hours and hours and hours, but I think we've all got homes to go to but can I encourage you to get passionate about the church? Jesus loves the church and he's got a plan for us. We find that, you know, as uh, Steve was talking about in terms of the contributions that we bring, sometimes we perhaps just have one or two contributions that happen. Perhaps we become a bit predictable and you think, right, this is the moment that that we have Nigel's going to bring something and then this is the moment that Steve's going to share something. We don't want to be like that. Can you imagine gathering here together when all of us are bringing contributions? Can you imagine Steve fighting you off to say, I'm sorry, we just haven't got time this morning? Bring your contributions. You've all got a part to play. I want to actually make a, a personal one to the guys in my Connect group. I've heard your contributions as we've gathered together just in that small group. And actually, you've encouraged me as you've done that. As so I've seen you guys stepping out in, in things for the first time, these guys would also be encouraged as, as they hear you step out in those on a Sunday as well. So let's all play our part. So does the future have a church? What do you think? Okay, a few people are convinced. So I have to start again. <laughs> okay, does the future have a church? Yeah. Yes. Okay, you seem convinced. Does Gateway have a future? Yes. Yeah? Are we gonna plant D side? Yes. Are we gonna plant Oswald Street? Yes. yes. Good. What are we do now, are we sing or are we doing the we're welcoming. Okay. I just wanna read this before I hand over to Steve. I'm not gonna read the whole book, don't worry. Just gonna read a quote which I just just blew me away. The church to which you and I belong is more wonderful than anything else in all creation. Solving the problem of sin and a fallen and divided humanity was a greater challenge to God's wisdom than the physical creation of the world. The wisdom needed to create DNA, buds, seeds and planets was breathtaking. But the wisdom needed to solve the problem of a fallen humanity, a cursed world, supersedes even this god has been pleased to demonstrate to principalities and powers the greatness of his wisdom and the way he has chosen to do it is through the church this is the greatest display and demonstration of his wisdom in the universe we will never stop researching the wonders of the universe the angels will never stop researching the church